Rivers Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. Thank you, Mr. Joe, and everybody else that participated this morning. So appreciative of the talent that the Lord has brought in here to Villa's Grace Church, the gifting. Thank you yourselves. It's just amazing. It's awesome to come here on Sunday morning and worship together. We are in the second Sunday of our series that we just started last week. Last Sunday was our first Sunday in this new series. The overarching theme for this series is persecution, deception, and disobedience. We see all of that here in 2 Thessalonians. And that is what we will be focusing on for the next few weeks. This is a little bit of a shorter sermon series as we go verse by verse through the book of 2 Thessalonians. But those are the three things that we are seeing. We're seeing persecution in the church. We're seeing deception come upon the church. And we're seeing disobedience. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we now transition to the proclamation of your word in worship. My prayer is that we can listen to what you have for us from your scriptures. I pray that we can be encouraged ultimately, no matter how uncomfortable or comfortable it makes us feel. I pray that we are encouraged ultimately in the gospel according to Jesus Christ. In him we pray, his name, amen. Some people appreciate physical fitness. After all, God's word does say in 1 Timothy 4.8 this. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. As it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So, with that being said, what is the value in bodily Training. What is the value that we, we find in bodily training then? We know that it is more important, as this verse says, to pursue godliness because it is of value in every single way. But what is the importance for us? Because I know some of us here do like to work out throughout the week. It's important for us, some of us, on one level or another, to eat properly and exercise properly. But what is the value for bodily training? I mean, simply, I'll just give you five things I think that would maybe come to mind for most of us. We tend to participate in bodily training for weight control or heart health. We want to improve our strength, <laughs> like this guy here. Maintain blood sugar, insulin levels. Just improve your overall mood and mental health. These are all benefits of bodily training. However, let's take improved strength for an example, though. Every time any amount of weight is lifted, 
in a repetitious manner, like this individual is doing himself, old muscle fibers are broken down and new muscle fibers are grown. So if you want to increase your strength, then you'll need to suffer through each repetition in order to reap the rewards of future strength. Do you get it? You go to the gym day in, day out, and you repetitiously lift the weights. You suffer through each repetition, but you're doing this for future strength. So for those of you who exercise, you understand the pain and suffering that's associated with the exercises that you do. Brothers and sisters, we too should want to grow. Now, we know that bodily training is of some value. It says that in 1 Timothy. But we should be more concerned to grow in godliness than bodily training. Because we know that if it is of value in every way, as Scripture says, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. That is godliness. It benefits us now, but it really ultimately benefits us in the future. And by the way, I think I forgot to mention here, our friend on the screen is clearly at the beginning stages of his bodily training. I want to see the before and afters in about, you know, six months to six years, however long it takes. But I digress. In order to grow in Jesus Christ, in order to grow in Jesus Christ, we must be willing to suffer. God purges purifies and perfects us in our suffering. This is how we develop Christ-like character within this satanic world system. A satanic world system that Jesus will one day put an end to when he returns again. And this brings us to the title of our sermon this morning. That title is this, His Coming Judgment in Glory. His Coming Judgment in in glory. Today we're going to be in the book of 2 Thessalonians. If you have your Bibles, please feel free to join us. If not, all the verses this morning will be on the screen for you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 5 through 12. Last week we learned what type of church is a church that's worth boasting about, didn't we? We were encouraged to know that it's a church that's focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ, despite that current churches, that local church, despite their current circumstances. No matter what, they focus on Jesus. That is the type of church that is worth boasting about. Today we're going to be encouraged but this time we'll focus on suffering, affliction, and God's subsequent judgment. That's right, just what you wanted to come to church today and be encouraged in, right? I get it. That's why I got up this morning too. However, we must not forget that God uses suffering and affliction to strengthen our Christ-like character. And as for our opposition that we're going to face, that we have already faced in this life, I think today that we will recognize that he has that covered too. So with that being said, let's get into our text. We're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 through 12. 
This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we also pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for every good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Amen. Our one sentence that summarizes these verses this morning states this, which becomes our main idea. The world's suffering is temporary, but the glory of God's kingdom is forever. This world's suffering is temporary. But the glory of God's kingdom is forever. So like we said, you may have had suffered. You are maybe currently suffering. You will suffer in the future. But just remember that that is temporary. Because the glory which actually matters that's found in Jesus. The glory of God's kingdom is forever. Now, as you look at this image here on the screen, it depicts a historical event. This historical event is, in fact, the 1967 Boston Marathon. The woman having her number ripped off her back right there is named Catherine Switzer. She is the first woman to have unofficially, but yet officially, enter the Boston Marathon, as a female. She did this by concealing her identity when she signed up because she registered her name as K.V. Switzer. At the time, the Boston Marathon was an all-male race. And on that day in 1967, Catherine Switzer proved the men wrong. This is Switzer in her own words. I just want to read what she had to say. The marathon was a man's race in those days. Women were considered too fragile to run it. But I had trained hard and was confident of my strength. Still, it took a body block from my boyfriend to knock the official off the course. That's her boyfriend right there knocking the official off because see what the official was doing after they figured out that they had been hoodwinked and a woman was now running in this all-male race, the official ran up to rip the number off her back and her boyfriend gave him the body blow. But see, Switzer was so trained and conditioned, so trained and so conditioned for that race that she finished it in four hours and 20 minutes 
And speaking of being trained in condition, there's another word that describes her level of fitness. And that word is endurance. She had endurance. Church, as believers in Jesus, we need to be trained and conditioned for the purpose of gaining and maintaining endurance. Especially as we, just like K.V. Switzer here, will experience suffering and affliction. And we see precisely this in verses 5 through 7. And as we begin with verse 5, we must first recognize something. The cause of the Thessalonian suffering, see, the saints or the believers in Thessalonica, as we see here, the cause of that suffering was because not of their own sinfulness, which most people would think, you would think, oh, you're suffering right now because of your sinfulness, but it's not because of that. See, they were suffering because of their saintliness. So what makes one a saint? What is it that makes you a saint? How do you become a saint according to what God's word tells us? It's really quite simple. In order to be a saint, you must first have faith in the righteous blood of Jesus. So who are the ones worthy of the kingdom, as it says here? Who are the ones who are worthy of the kingdom? The saints. Those who have faith in the righteous blood of Jesus. Now, let us not get this twisted. Suffering and affliction is not the evidence of the righteous judgment of God. When we see suffering and affliction here, this is not evidence of the righteous judgment of God. But however, there is something else that is, and that something else is called attitude. Therefore, evidence of the righteous judgment of God is exemplified in the Thessalonians' attitude. They were not self-centered, but rather concentrated. Concentrated on the kingdom of God. They were not concerned with comfort, but rather endurance. Endurance to persevere through suffering. All because they knew God was using their suffering in that moment to prepare them for their eventual residency in his kingdom. Brothers and sisters, we, we need to adopt the same attitude. Just like Catherine Switzer trained hard and developed the endurance necessary to complete the Boston Marathon through suffering and affliction, we need to allow God to prepare us for our future residency in his kingdom, which he'll do through our suffering, but only if we have the proper attitude. Church, suffering and affliction should be expected. It should be expected in the believer's life. After all, we live within a world system that is, in fact, controlled by Satan. Being Christian sure isn't cheesy, and it's definitely not easy. I don't care what anybody says. The world may look at us as being cheesy, thinking that we're living easy, but it's far from it. My life has become more difficult since I've become a believer. And I hope you feel the same way too. 
I like this quote from Charles Wolford. He says this. I'm going to read it verbatim. The Christian, the present age is a day of suffering, a day of trial, a day of temptation. But in the future, the glory will be ours. It is the pattern which Christ himself went through. Suffering first and the glory to follow. The world has the opposite attitude. The world says, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we suffer. The Christian says, suffer now, live later. The world says, live now, die later. Now, for the righteous judgment of God, in verse 6 we realize that it is twofold. Because if we look at verse 6, it says, the righteous judgment of God has to train the believer's endurance. That's what we see. The righteous judgment of God has to train the believer's endurance. And this is just like Switzer in her training for her own endurance to finish the Boston Marathon. Because after all, she would never be able to just get up off that couch and go run the Boston Marathon cold. Isn't it amazing to think, though, what people think? Because that's how people think they're going to receive eternal life. They think that one day they're just going to continue to live their life, get up off the couch cold with absolutely no training, and then feel like they are prepared for the kingdom of God. If we're not preparing now for the kingdom of God, we'll never be ready for his kingdom. The second thing that we see in verse 6 is the righteous judgment of God will expose the world's lack of endurance through suffering. Kind of puts new meaning to eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. This is all part of his coming judgment and glory. Which is why verse 7 states, and to grant relief to you, church, in order to feel relief in life, you must first endure some suffering. There is no relief without suffering. So if you've already felt some suffering, expect to feel some more. But relief is on the way always. Expect to feel more suffering until, as it says, the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. There will be two times when the Lord Jesus is revealed. Two times. And they're both futuristic in nature. And those two times, the first is at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. And the second time will be at the end of his millennial kingdom. Basically, when Jesus returns, it's not good for those who do not know him. And it's definitely not good for those who have disobeyed his gospel, his good news. That's why this morning was so important. To encourage Mike and Zara to raise Ollie in a home that is focused on the gospel. That's why it's so important for us as a church to encourage the Shafoni family in that. Because Ollie's eventual relationship with the Lord is between him and the Lord. We can't do it for him. Mike and Zara cannot either. 
We see evidence of all of this in our next set of verses 8 through 10. And you'll notice today we're doing things a little bit differently. We're, we're only having one subpoint, And that subpoint's going to come at the end. So hold your horses, note takers. I saw a few of you look down in frustration. That's usually around the time of the sermon where I give you that, that, that first point and you're ready to go. Not today. Starting with verse 8, we understand in flaming fire to represent judgment. That's what that means. Therefore, there are two types of people for Jesus to judge. Two types, really simple. There are those who deny general revelation. This is coming from Romans 1. General revelation is for everybody. All of creation, all of humanity either has accepted general revelation or refused general revelation. What is general revelation, you're asking? Quite simply, it is this. You walk outside, you look at the sun, moon, and stars, you say to yourself, there is no way no man has ever been able to take credit for creating the sun, moon, and stars. God has revealed himself to all of creation through his creation. Now, the second way is special revelation. And those are those who reject the gospel. Those who hear the gospel, but still refuse to obey the good news for hell-deserving sinners through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, this judgment has an interesting connotation. See, even an atheist is in the presence of the Lord, which I find rather ironic. And in the presence of his glory as well. And our example for this is general revelation. There is not one atheist walking this earth today who can say, I'm outside the presence of God. Everything happens before God. There is nothing that doesn't happen before him. So even an atheist who denies the gospel or denies God through creation is still in God's presence. So take our adversary, for example, a.k.a. Satan, you know, the prince of the power of the air. See, he has access to both heaven and earth alike. And we get this from Job 1. We understand this. Therefore, he is in the presence of the Lord in his glory. But the day is coming when Jesus returns that, as it says, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Church, this is why it is paramount that we share the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. We share the good news about Jesus and his work for our sinfulness. So others do not have a similar fate, as it says, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. They are out of his presence. Speaking of the work of Jesus, do you know what's so spectacular about a sacrifice? What I don't know if I'll ever be able to wrap my mind around The fact that he experienced something that no one has ever experienced. Jesus separated himself from himself. Jesus knows what it feels like to be out of the presence of the Lord. That's what he did for us on the cross when he died and then was resurrected back into the presence. He experienced that level of suffering. I don't care what anybody thinks they've ever been through here on earth. They went through what they went through in the presence of the Lord. But Jesus went through what he went through outside of God's presence. 
I would rather suffer under the presence of God rather than outside of his presence. Brothers and sisters, this is verified in verse 10. Especially with what it, it talks about what he did for us. Look at what verse 10 says. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints. Did, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Jesus, a.k.a. the Lord of glory, will be glorified in us. He will be glorified in us. Makes me think of amazing grace. How sweet the sound who saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I He will be glorified in us. After all, the Bible does tell us we are his workmanship. So as, as Joe joins me up here, I would like to finish just by reading Paul's prayer because that's how Paul ends this section. He ends with verses 11 and 12 by praying. He says this, he says, To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, when we walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, God is ultimately glorified in us, but he won't be completely fulfilling that prophecy until he returns again. It's been said to glorify the name of the Lord is to show the world what the person of the Lord is like. Brothers and sisters, this has been never more true than the opportunity that we have right now. We have the best opportunity that any one of us have ever had in our lifetime to do just that. Look at what's going on around us. We're not going back. I think we can all agree, hopefully, that we're not going back. Things are different than what they were a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. The way in which the pattern of this world rotates has been altered, and it's been altered forever. There is no going back. But we have an opportunity in that moment to represent the Lord. Now, with that being said, though, about not being able to go back would you agree that maybe there's more suffering to come? More trials and tribulations for us to endure? Who are you going to be in that moment? Who are we going to be? Are we gonna be a church that encourages each other together? Because I don't know about you, there are strength in numbers. We are a team. We are only as strong as our weakest link, but we do this together. And this world is going to beg us to do that because we're going to need the strength that the Lord is going to provide us 
to endure the suffering that is coming. God is ultimately glorified in us, like it said, to glorify the name of the Lord. And this is something for all of us, is to show the world what the person of Jesus is like. And when you're staring down the face of opposition, trials, tribulations, in the midst of suffering, your attitude towards said suffering will speak volumes to others about who Jesus is. We weren't called to live a comfortable existence now. That comes later. It's about to get really uncomfortable for all of us. But through Jesus, we can represent him if we lean upon him. Thus, we arrive at our lone sub point. Faith plus suffering plus attitude equals resident of his kingdom. Faith plus suffering plus attitude equals resident of his kingdom. Do you want to show others that you are a resident of his kingdom or not? There is opportunity for us to show our faith, reveal our attitude through our suffering, which will equal a resident because after all, you can't get up and run a marathon cold, neither can you get up and enter God's kingdom cold either. Again, our main idea this morning stated this, the one sentence that wrapped all these verses together. Suffering is temporary, or this world's suffering is temporary, but the glory of God's kingdom is forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we can continue to be a church that encourages one another, that allows that iron to sharpen iron, I pray that we are a lot less individualistic and more holistic in our approach. Lord, I want to pray for us individually, some of the suffering that some of us have been through or currently going through or maybe will go through in the future, no matter what it is that it is that we are going through, I pray that we can continue to learn to keep our eyes upon you. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray this prayer. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com, or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.